Hi, I'm Kate Fairweather, and welcome to Disaster Tales. We're here in beautiful uptown Genoa, New York. That's right. And we're actually together, so this is a live broadcast. Oh, only it's recorded. So. Alive! We're it's alive! alive. <laughs> it's alive! <laughs> <laughs> and we're going to be talking about the 2020 of 1930s, and that's going to be 1936. <laughs> Uh-oh, there's a car behind us. Hold on. Just move over. All right. We got this now. So, 1936 was the middle of the Dust Bowl and the Depression. And because of farming techniques in the center of the country, which was originally settled in, a, in an extremely wet period of time, um, the farmers put in fields in such a way that the water would drain off the fields instead of collect on the fields. And so by the time the drought came around in the 1930s, um, they were not likely to save any possible water that might fall. And so that kind of started the whole self-feeding drought system and much like the farming practices that we're experiencing here in upstate New York, they're putting in drain tiles to dry the fields and they're overcropping, never giving the land any rest. And so they're creating and setting up the perfect storm for a similar thing to happen here in upstate New York. The perfect storm. Oh, and by the way, my co-host and actually my host, because I'm staying at her house, is Barb Lonsky. Greetings, everyone. Uh, <laughs> My sister has come to visit, and she's planning to relocate to this state, so we're pretty excited about that. Yes. So she's uh, been with us for a little bit, and we're having a nice visit. So, Yeah, we think we found a house. Yes. So that's good, too. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about 1936. 1935, to start that with, right. had, was, the, was the year that they had the big giant dust storms, the Black Sunday dust storm, and the several day dust storms that would block out the sun and keep people, like, they wouldn't be able to drive. And Right, their houses were inundated with dust, every crack and crevice. They tried to seal it up, but the dust just blew in all around things, and there's nothing worse than a dust storm. We, When we first <laughs> moved to Texas, they had <laughs> several of them, and it was no matter what you tried to do, you had grit in your mouth, grit in your eyes, grit in your food. In your food. It was, yeah. So I could not imagine the scope of the dust that they had, even, you know, compared to what we experienced when we first moved to Texas. Well, I'll tell you how much dust they had. They had so much dust that in Oklahoma, after a dust storm, a farmer went out and he saw a cowboy hat. So he dug it out and there was a cowboy under it. Oh, my. And then the cowboy <laughs> said... Mind digging out my horse? <laughs> so that's a lot of dust. Lots and lots of dust. <laughs> yeah. So because, who knows if it's because or not, but the winter of 1935 was excessively cold. Very, very cold. And that ran on over through February of 1936. So we'll start talking about that. Um. It's interesting that in one year they had um, an astonishing thing occur in North Dakota. The temperature reached 60 below in February, on February 15th, in, and at partial North Dakota. 
at Steele, North Dakota, by July 6th, there was the, the there was a temperature, okay, excuse me, 60 <laughs> below was the cold temperature in February. And then in um, July, the high temperature was 121 degrees. And those towns were only 110 miles apart. So they had the most extreme weather events on both ends of the spectrum, the coldest and the hottest. That's right. Langdon, North Dakota, actually spent 41 days below freezing from January 10th to February 20th, which I guess is 41 days. Right. I can't add any. <laughs> um, and that cold wave, it lasted all, all through February. And it's interesting that the upper Midwest, uh, I know before we spoke about the the blizzard, the children's blizzard of 1888, that there was a similar occurrence where the cold wave came down from Canada, from the Arctic, and chilled that area extremely. And so this is a common occurrence, and we've seen the the similar things happen in this past year as far as the temperature extremes, the severe oh, cold yeah. all the way down into Houston, Texas, and down into the, the Mexican area, Mexico that, area. That was a mite chilly. It was a mite chilly. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, again, we're seeing now at this particular juncture, we're seeing the high temperatures in the Wisconsin upper Midwest mm -hmm. area again. So you can't help but wonder if that's a typical weather cycle um, because it's been repeated on several occasions. As has the influenza cycle. Right. So, because right after the influenza... This started. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, February was very cold. There was a, the low in partial North Dakota was minus 60. Yeah. On February 19th, the record low in McIntosh, South Dakota was minus 58. So it didn't quite match partial, but it was freaking cold. Mm. Then it started to warm up. And what happens when it starts to warm up? Well, it floods. Right. And in the San Joaquin Valley in California, it flooded terribly. It was a huge flood. And there was uh, avalanches, of course, because the winter melt happened so quickly. Right. In the Squalami Pass, Snow, Snow Kualami Pass. I, I think that's right. Yeah. In Washington State. <laughs> that one killed three people. Mm. So there's, you know, the when weather events happen, they happen in succession. You get the mm -hmm. extreme cold, the extreme heat, the melting, the flooding. The, the tornadoes, all of those things that go along with that extreme weather right. shift. So February 24th was the San Joaquin flood. Mm -hmm. But then on March 8th, a, a moisture-laden front moved into New England, and it started to not only rain, but it also melted the snow that was there. And that combination causes floods and more floods. Right. And it flooded from, from Massachusetts all the way down to Maryland. The Potomac actually flooded. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that was fun. Mm. And then we had the St. Patrick's Day flood on March 17th. Well, we so, got to wait on March 11th. Oh, on my March birthday. Her birthday, yes. One of her wonderful disasters that she had so many of. <laughs> <laughs> there was an ice jam that flooded, that helped to flood New England as well. So it wasn't just the melting snow and the rain, but when the ice jams up, the water has to go around it and over it. And so, yeah. So that just made it more fun for everyone up there mm. well and the thing is that the toll financially and the death toll the displacement of people because of that kind of flooding it creates a, an incredible uh, pressure on the infrastructure to try to keep things going so mm -hmm. 
it, it, there's secondary effects to it. And then, um, like like Barb said, March 17th, St. Patty's Day, mm. uh, there was a flood that flooded in Pennsylvania, and it flooded Pittsburgh out, basically. Uh-huh. And some of the places that I've actually worked, Sunbury, Shemokin, places like that, they, they flooded yeah. before. The capital down. Uh, right. Harris. Harrisburg. Harrisburg, yeah. It's because the Susquehanna runs through there, and so they get a lot of flooding in that basin. Okay, so then, you want to take this one? On yeah. April 5th. Mm-hmm. Through the April 6th, there was a, a continuous tornado outbreak. And that... Uh, let me get to the details. All right. All right. It was 12 tornadoes, and they killed 454 people. People. There were injuries over uh, 3,500 3, in Mississippi and Georgia and Tennessee and South Carolina. So it's much similar to the Dixie outbreak that we just had down mm-hmm. that way where they had the multiple tornadoes going through and that weather cycle set up. Right. So they all are correlated, the extreme cold wave, the heat wave, then the tornado outbreaks. And so it's like this, the this tornadoes cascade. Occur, mm-hmm. The tornadoes occur between the cold air and the warm air when they meet because cold air is usually drier and the warm mm-hmm. air is usually more moist. Right. And the difference in moisture is what really sets off tornadic storms. Right. So... Yeah, there was a big tornado outbreak, and two of those, three of those tornadoes, and I think there was seven, mm-hmm. two of those tornadoes, one of them was an F5, and two of them were F4s, and they killed about 400 people, mm-hmm. those three storms, so or those three tornadoes. So the rest of them were F2s and F3s, and they, they made up the difference. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then... We got to go on to the grasshopper infestations. <laughs> well, we can. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. Um, the The dates here are approximate based on the information we have about baiting for grasshoppers. But grasshoppers, because of dry, because of a dry situation, the flies that normally feed on the larvae don't hatch. And so, when you have very, when you have a drought, you're going to have more grasshoppers. Mm-hmm. And so the grasshopper infestation started on May 15, 1936. And this is based on when they started baiting to try to kill the grasshoppers. Mm-hmm. So it's probably before that until August 15th, which is another approximation. So I think we can look at kind of an aside as far as the grasshopper infestation and what may have created that situation. They uh, During the Dust Bowl, they uh, kept track of the t- soil temperatures. And what happens is the dry and exposed soil superheats and it kills off the microbiome and the the bacterial um, situation in the soil. Mm -hmm. There were times when the soil temperature reached in excess of 200 degrees Fahrenheit, four inches depth during the Dust Bowl period. And those sterilized, yeah, it's like boiling the soil. It Mm -hmm. sterilized the soil. And the nitrogen-fixing bacteria and other microbes were not able to survive in that heated, superheated environment. And so those are the kind of things that would prevent the grasshoppers from pr- reproducing because they would catch you know, the bacteria and the microbes and it would kill mm-hmm. off a lot of the population. But the, the soil had already declined to the point where it wasn't able to have that, that bacterial um, 
flora. And so the grasshoppers just flourished and just took right. off. And so the, the larva that would have been from the flies that would eat the, mm-hmm. the grasshopper larva, they, they were all killed off because the soil was sterilized. Right. And, um, I don't know, into what? And it all and then the thing was without that nitrogen and the bacteria in the soil, the topsoil just dies basically. And so the wind comes through and blows the topsoil and causes soil erosion. Mm-hmm. And so you end up with a dust bowl with right. constant, you know, storms. Well and the grasshoppers, because there were so many of them, they ran out of weeds to eat. Right. And they actually had to start eating crops. Mm-hmm. And one man was talking about how his dad tried to get in his oat crop because it, it wasn't going to live long enough to be harvested at the right time. So he tried to get it in early, and he started at the outside of the field and like went around the edge, and then he went in a square closer and closer. But it, that drove the grasshoppers in front of him. So that by the time he got to the center, it was full of grasshoppers, and the food was disappearing. Right. And and the man said, I've come... I think of it now, he said, I would have told Dad to start at the inside and work his way out, and the grasshoppers would disperse over a larger area instead of being condensed into a smaller one. Right. But it may not have made a whole lot of difference because there were, those grasshoppers were just everywhere. And such an uncommon situation. I mean, if you look at right now, they're having a real problem in the uh, in Africa and different areas over mm-hmm. there with infestation of locusts and grasshoppers that are just eating everything in sight. It's like a plague, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it, it's definitely the, that's another part of that whole cascade of weather, you know, it brings it to the point where then the pestilence starts to come and the things start to overproduce and then you end up with a, you know, a grasshopper infestation or right. locust or things like that. So the government started sending out train cars full of poison bran or poison to mix with bran. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was an arsenic combination. I can't remember the entire thing. But, um, yeah, they they were sending out, there'd be carloads and carloads and carloads. And these people were spreading it out on their fields. And uh, that's the only way that they could try and control the infestation. But it really didn't help a lot. Right. Um, these grasshoppers, one of the things that they look for is salt. And so people would use a hoe or a shovel and leave it outside and the grasshoppers would actually eat the wood to get to the salt that had been on their hands. And there's also reports that um, the wooden parts of harnesses for horses to, to pull wagons would be eaten through by these grasshoppers looking for the salt that came from the horses when they were sweating. Mm. So they were just everywhere. It's just interesting how just such a subtle change in in the biome can create such a huge effect down the line. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, they had been battling those those grasshopper infestations for a while, um, and it says that as temperatures climbed, the the grasshoppers broiled basically, and their lifeless bodies began to drop from the sky like an antennaed hail. <laughs> In New York City, which hit a record high of 106 degrees, 75 seamstresses were at a single factory, fell into a collective heat-induced swoon. In Detroit, one of the steamiest cities, doctors and nurses collapsed while treating patients, overcome by heat and exhaustion, and the morgues were overrun with bodies. By summer's end, upward of 5,000 Americans and 1,100 Canadians had died from heat-related causes or drowned while trying to cool off in rivers and lakes. 
Wow. So, so so it was so hot in Canada, it was killing people right. as well. And that's that's north. That's <laughs> way north. Way north. <laughs> so let's look at some of the records that we've got here. In, in La Crosse, Wisconsin, on July 4th through the 8th, it was over 90 degrees every single day. And that's in Wisconsin. That's, that's north. Like South Canada. Right, very right. north, yeah. Gann Valley, South Dakota, on July 5th was 120 degrees. Yikes. Yeah. South Dakota, not South North Dakota. Dakota. Right. Mm-hmm. And then Steele, North Dakota was 121 degrees on the 6th. So of... the Dakotas were not anywhere to be. Mm-hmm. Chicago Midway reports over 100 degrees on July 7th through the 14th for an entire week. Right. It, it was, was over 100, 100 degrees. degrees. Okay, this is Manitoba, Canada. On July 11th, it became it went up to 110 degrees. Mhm. And there were there were deaths related to that, 780 direct deaths and 400 indirect deaths. So those could be disease-related, where a person already has a pre-existing condition like heart condition or diabetes or something that mm-hmm. impairs their health, like COPD, you know, lung issues. And when the heat just exacerbates their symptoms and causes so much of a strain on their system that they end up succumbing to it just because of the, That's right. the extra stress of the heat. Uh, there was a report that I read that was put out by, was put out by uh, a scholar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a doctor and and she found that in the in the 1980s there was a big heat wave like this mm-hmm. and yeah there was there was people who were dying of of heat strokes and of the heart related mm-hmm. conditions that were obvious but also you know the less obvious things like you say if they had um if you have constructive, what, what is it? COPD? Obstructive, chronic obstructive pulmonary Thank disease. You. Yeah. <laughs> if, you have, if you have that then and the air is dry, mm-hmm. you don't have the moisture that helps you exchange the oxygen right. in your lungs. And so that can that can A- kill you. Asthma would be another significant um, disease that would be triggered by heat. And I think just also, you know, the anxiety of not being able to find any place to cool off, mm-hmm. you know, just that it's this relentless and it drains you. And so people would be, you know, distressed and discouraged. And who knows if maybe some of that was also people who just decided it was no longer worth living and killed themselves. Yeah, you know? I would I would guess that a lot of the farmers might have had like mm-hmm. shotgun cleaning accidents, things like yeah, that. Yeah, right. And... Because they've lost everything. Their crops don't grow. The, the, the you know grasshoppers are eating everything they could potentially bring in. Their animals are dying because they don't have enough water and they don't have enough feed for them. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I mean, people do get discouraged and they succumb to that portion of it, too. Well, and even if you don't actively commit suicide, mm-hmm. you know, if you're, you can, you can let yourself die if you're ill, you right. know. right. So definitely there's not just the initial effect of the heat and the effect that it has on a person. There's also psychological triggers that go along with it. There were, and these people had had lost their farms, lost their crops, lost their animals, Mm -hmm. were in debt, right? and didn't have a future without debt. Right. So, you know, they couldn't feed their families and they didn't see any option to do that. Right. And that's right around the same time as, as pictured in the Grapes of Wrath when they left Oklahoma for California. Right. I and mean, a lot of people did leave the center of the country. Um, and coming out of the Great Depression, too. I mean, people already were hit so hard, you know, that it just was like a compounded effect. 
And you see that even right now with people coming out of this COVID situation mm-hmm. and then the job losses and the financial setbacks and the, the physical, you know, isolation. And, and there's a the, the extremely high rate of suicide, especially among young people, because mm-hmm. they, they're hopeless. And the people who don't have any hope, that's the result. You they know? don't see a future. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, now, one of the things that the government did that um, under Roosevelt was the Works Projects Administration, the WPA, actually hired farmers to build dams, to, to dig wells, and to build farm-to-market roads. And they employed over 50,000 farmers mm-hmm. to do that job. And so they did they, a and, lot of work in the public parks and, and right. recreations department, too. And they had, so they had cash in hand. Mm-hmm. And people were, were just thinking, you know, It'd be great if I could just pay off my bill at the grocery store, right? And because, I mean, it's one thing to to be losing everything, but then you also lose your self esteem when you can't accomplish what you set out to do. And if you owe people money, it's it's, right. it's an extra burden, right? And they did a lot of work in the. I know in this area, Fillmore Glen and several of the public parks in this area were were built during those WPA projects mm-hmm. you know they came in and they built stone walls and bridges and you know created beautification in these different parks and stuff like that and uh, their works are still there you know you can look back and see the the benefit that that they they created by building those public uh, parks and stuff well and also if you go into the midwest You'll see that a lot of the county seats, the county buildings, mm-hmm. were built during that period of time, mm-hmm. and they have a they they employed not just like stonemasons and plumbers and things like that, they also employed artists, mm-hmm. and so there's a lot of beautiful bas relief carving. There's Art Deco motifs. There's all kinds of different artwork that would not have made it into you know somebody's old county seat without. The mm-hmm. works pro the works projects and the um, CCC the Civilian Conservation Corps. Well, it's neat the way that you know people can turn a disastrous situation into something that's beneficial. The the human spirit and the and the the desire to produce and to create something out of nothing is is very strong, and that's really what this country was built on. Mm-hmm. You take adversity and you turn it into advantage. Yep. If you can. If you can. So do we have any more records or we have lots of records. There's been a, a there was a huge um, dust storm as as Katie alluded to. It was a Sunday dust storm and uh, the readings and, and the temperature readings during this time were were extremely high. Mm-hmm. They had in Indiana, which is like central, um, it was hundred and eighteen in Collegeville. So if you go up a little further north, though, like in uh, Wisconsin, high temperature of 114 on July 13th. Um, the above list, there was 120 in Gann, South Dakota, on July 5th, mm-hmm. which is incredibly hot. I mean, Arizona experiences those kinds of temperatures occasionally, Death Valley. But to have it happen way up in North Dakota, so far and so close to Canada, was just incredible. So there was an area that um, included the upper northwest, and the temperatures were 117 in uh, in Iowa, and in North Dakota, 117, 118, 
114. I mean, so it was pervasive. The whole country on one particular date, I don't know which date that was, but the whole country was over, the high, the lowest temperature was 94 degrees, and the rest of the country was over 100 primarily. Right, and, the, and those temperatures reached up to as far as Alaska. Right. At, at one point, Alaska and all the way to Florida had temperatures in the high 90s or above. Right. And so if you think about that, and this was a time when, when air conditioning was very minimal. I mean, they had, like in some public places, say a movie theater or sometimes the larger shopping malls. But for the most part, there was no air conditioning. And so, you know, in Texas, it was 120 degrees in Seymour, Texas on August 12th. So it extended for a long period of time, too. It wasn't just a short, like, one-week heat wave. It lasted for several, for months. And so that continual taxing on the physical body, mm -hmm. you know, would, would produce a heat stroke situation if you weren't really very careful and diligent about right. getting somewhere and cooling off for a time or finding a place where you could drop your body temperatures back down because heat stroke is caused by an increase in core temperature. So it's like a slow roast. Right. So let's talk real quick about heat exhaustion and heat stroke and what the symptoms are and what the differences are. Okay. So if you're in heat exhaustion, you become overheated mm -hmm. and your symptoms are? You're sweaty mm -hmm. and, you know, you're, you're, of course, uncomfortable because you can, you can tell that your body is really working to try to cool itself. The body produces sweat to use as an evaporative cooling method. And so w during that heat exhaustion phase, you're sweating profusely. What happens is when you move into heat stroke is your body runs out of the ability to produce that sweat for cooling. Mm -hmm. And so you actually are dry. Your skin is very dry and the, and the turgor of your skin is like almost leathery. And so that's when you move into that heat stroke phase where the internal temperatures are rising and it produces a subtle cooking of your body basically so you're at fever level temperature right but your body is not able to cool itself anymore because it doesn't have the, the the fluids usually to to cool or it's just been such a relentless high temperature that your body's just unable to right to fight it so with with heat exhaustion you're sweaty and clammy and you can also be dizzy right you can get tired feel exhausted right um Probably have breathing. some vision. Yeah. yeah, breathing and vision issues, yep. And so if you are having heat exhaustion, what you need to do, because you're conscious, mm -hmm. you need to get somewhere that's cooler, get in the shade, go inside, get some fluids in you because you're losing them out. That's what all that sweat is, fluids leaving your body. Right. Uh, cool fluids, and then just to rest for a while until your body temperature goes down. Right. With heat stroke, though, you may not be conscious. Right. And so you can't take fluids. Mm -hmm. So what are what are the emergency procedures for heat stroke? Well, so the emergency procedures would be a cooling of the body, obviously, you know, packing it in cold uh, compresses or, or uh, even an ice bath. But by the time you get to the point of heat stroke and you're not able to take those fluids, the amount of time it takes to replace the fluids that you've lost mm -hmm. is usually, uh, it puts such a taxing on the system that sometimes you'll end up with an actual physical stroke Right. Um, where your body throws clots because the blood thickens and you're not able to um, move it around the way it needs to. And then once that core temperature reaches a certain point, it's irreversible. 
So, and it's a subtle thing because you go from that, that point of, you know, the heat exhaustion where you're sweating and you're, you know, and then suddenly you switch over to the heat stroke and then it's, it's really hard to reclaim at that point because it's so, the core so, temperature rises. So time is of the essence. Right. And immediate cooling, even wet sheets would right. be helpful. Right. And uh, cold compresses under the arms in the groin area. Mm-hmm. Those are pl- places that'll help lower the core temperature. Right. You know, the central core temperature. Um, That's because the vessels are so close to the bo- to the surface. Right. And the body just starts shutting them down because it doesn't have the, the ability to perfuse those areas. And so that's what causes the, the, the body to shut down. So, yeah. And then the thing is, just being smart in hot weather. I mean, not staying out like, you know, the old saying, mad dogs and Englishmen go out in the noonday sun. Mm-hmm. You know, being out at, during the intense sunshine hours in the heat doing physical activity, labor that, you know, causes you to sweat is going to increase the demand on your body. So you need to be sure that you're replacing the fluids, that Mm -hmm. you're stepping away from that sunny beating, you know, sun beating down on you and get in some place that's cooler for a little while. And, uh, I mean, it's a, I have a brother-in-law who who had a, a massive stroke because he was outside working on a roof and he wasn't staying hydrated and he ended up with heat stroke, which led to a physical stroke and he lost function on one side of his body and eventually passed away from the, from the stroke yeah, that's, symptoms. So, yeah, that's not good. Yeah. So Now, I know that in Texas in the summer, road workers will start working at 3 o'clock in the morning and stop by noon. Right. Because the heat is so intense, especially when you're on a tarmac where it's reflecting and absorbing heat and then reflecting it back up. Right. Um, the temperatures can get up well over 100, right. 110, 120. And so they do their eight hours of work in the cooler part of the day. Right. Or they and, work at night, too. They have night, right. you know, night shifts, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and so that's one of the reasons that um, in by September... They still had extreme heat temperatures when kids were supposed to go back to school. Right. And so the school districts decided that they would hold a half-day school mm-hmm. in the morning and send the kids home at noon so that they wouldn't have to worry about them succumbing to heat inside of an, an air-conditioned classroom. Right, right. And I think that, you know, working with your environment, I know, you know, the, the custom in, in, say, like in Mexico and different places that are, you know, tropical climates, they they go through the morning time and then they stop in the early afternoon and they don't come back out until late at night. They take that siesta in the afternoon and that's to avoid the intensity of the heat and the sun sun during those hours right. and it's a smart way of working with that that climate that they're dealing with mm-hmm. the thing is that in these areas where these people had these extreme high temperatures they had not experienced that kind of temperature uh, intensity and so they didn't know how to work smart in those situations right you got up at dawn and you worked all day and you went right. to bed at, at dusk but right um yeah that the whole siesta Mm-hmm. time frame is was designed exactly for that right and these are people that were they were responsible they were re- completely responsible for all of their income right themselves mm-hmm. and so the more work they did the better the outcome was right. and when you're driven to do that and then get in a situation where you have to physically stop and let some hours go that you would normally use it's right. 
that's really difficult to do and which is why in Mexico in siesta a lot of times they actually sleep right to take up the time instead of sitting there worrying about what isn't getting done right and and especially in the northern states it's because sunlight is so limited during the winter right there they take advantage of the sun so yeah that was hard for them to do yeah and I can understand that I mean I have a husband who's like that Mm -hmm. you know he works he's out in the garden and and I I, many times I'll go out and I'll say have you had anything to drink oh not lately you know and so I I make sure that he stays hydrated because he would work right through and just keep sweating and then eventually stop sweating and then not even realize it so you know some of the other symptoms that go along with heat stroke are diarrhea your body, you know, tr- takes the fluids that are in the intestinal tract, but, you know, you end up with diarrhea. You have that headaches a lot of times, mm-hmm. um, that dizziness, those feelings of just super, super exhaustion, you know, just tired where you can't even keep going. And so I think that's the body's way of saying, hey, stop. Well, you know? <laughs> the other thing is, but that actually happened to me last summer, mm-hmm. and um my vision closed down. Mm-hmm. It became tunnel vision. Right. And I got down on the ground and I was like, I just want to lay here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just want right. to lay down. But I, you know, I managed to get myself inside. But yeah, my stomach was upset right. and everything else. And your body's trying to conserve energy and to say to you, hey, we need to change our venue here. We need to be someplace different because <laughs> you're, true. you know, the sun Yo. is too intense. Right. Yo, get in the shade. Get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> get down. Stay yeah. down. Don't get up. You know. So, Yeah. It's definitely, I mean, our, our bodies are designed to work and to, to be able to function, but when the extremity, the extremity of the weather is such that it causes it to, to fall into those categories of being unable to continue to function like you're supposed to, you know, then the body does say, hey, this is enough. Mm-hmm. And if you heed those warnings, you'll be good. But I know there's been several times when my husband has, at night, has had extreme headaches and stomach ache and everything. And it's like you were out in the sun too long, mm-hmm. you know. So you definitely have to keep an eye on it. Yeah, and, and sunlight like that also, when I was having my migraine headaches, would kick off migraines. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that that is definitely not fun because then you have to go hide in the dark right? until it's gone. Right. Which could take hours. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so this, so you're actually getting your disaster tip this time inside right. the report instead of after, just so you know, because right. that was your disaster tip. Yeah. So the difference between heat exhaustion and heat stroke, right? Or just heat whining. Yeah. When you go out and somebody says, "Oh, it's so hot." Yeah. Right. Yeah. And the thing is that children and the elderly are extremely susceptible to that. Mm-hmm. People with chronic disease situations are extremely susceptible because their body isn't regulating itself normally and children tend to raise core temperature very quickly Mm -hmm. and then also with elderly people who have a lower level of function in their cardiovascular system so well one of the things in that report that i was talking about earlier is that they talked about elderly people succumbing in their apartments in large cities because first of all you can use a fan up to a point but when it gets this hot and it's like 120 degrees, your fan is blowing 120 degree air on you, and it's really not helping very much. Also, elderly people on fixed incomes are less likely to turn on their air conditioners because they can't afford the electric bill. Mm -hmm. And so people have died because of that as well. And I know that now there's, there's like heat programs where they'll either pay for your highest electric bill for cooling or heating during the winter, 
Right. And that helps a lot. But if you get two months of this, then you got two high bills and right. you have to go without your medicine or your mm-hmm. dinner or something. Right. And I think, too, that, you know, being the awareness is huge. You know, if you understand or recognize that this is something that could happen. But most people don't have any any understanding, especially in the colder climates, because you sh- we're used to dealing with cold weather. We're used to dealing with what do you do when you want to stay warm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're not used to that extreme heat, like down south where the people mop themselves with a handkerchief, you know, mm-hmm. all the time. And uh, you're looking at them, well, oh, you're southern people. But, you know, that's truly a... a that's it's something a thing. that you have to do. Yeah, yeah. it's a thing. So, <laughs> yeah. Yep. And people, they that's when they flock to the shore. They go to the lakes. Mm-hmm. They go sit in streams. So they go out on the river. In Ohio during this, and I don't know what the date was, but in Ohio there was a bunch of people out on the river. They were fishing. One was in a kayak. One um, couple people were swimming. And... A, a freak thunderstorm just came right across, blew over the boats. And back then, people didn't get swimming lessons when they were kids, usually. Mm-hmm. So a lot of them drowned. And there was a an elderly man and his grandson. The man was 64, elderly, my age. Yeah. And the grandson uh-huh. was... Uh-huh. The grandson was... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he was 14 and my grandson's age. Mm-hmm. And they said the last time they saw them, they both had life vests on. But as of the time that I had read the article, they had not found them yet. So hmm. wow. that was in the that was in the Erie, like Erie. Right. And the thing is that there are, you know, drowning related or boating related accidents that occur and with more people out on the lakes and the streams and the rivers than the more you're gonna have. So that would that contributed to the death tolls. Well, and I noticed that some of the drowning victims, like I said, swimming when I was doing swim lessons, when I was teaching swim lessons and running programs, we would have all the fourth graders in in the city come and take lessons during the summer. So they'd learn how to swim. And even even then, some of their parents, because especially when I was up on the part of town that's more African-American, they had never had access to a swimming pool when they were kids, so they didn't know how to swim. Right. And and they didn't have those kind of swim programs back then. And one, an eight-year-old boy stepped off a shelf. Because it, it, mm-hmm. He just found a deep part, and he stepped in, and he couldn't get out. He just drowned there. Right. And they had another one who had gone out. One guy was out with his girl and his girlfriend, his girlfriend's friend and her boyfriend. And they were at the river. And the guy says, there's houses over there. I'm going to swim over there. And so he went out, and he got in trouble. And the the other man, who couldn't swim, started to go after him. And both the women just held him back, said, you can't swim. Don't go out there. Mm-hmm. And so they lost one instead of two. Wow. Yeah. But And I guess he was trying to impress his girl. Oh, well, she wasn't too impressed. <laughs> Apparently not. But, yeah, because, like, whoa, look, there's houses. I'm just going to swim over there. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Be impressed. <laughs> Probably seized with a cramp or something. Because yeah. he didn't wait a half hour before he got in the water. That's true. They were having a picnic. Yep, so there you been. go. Fried so. chicken will kill you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I don't know. I, I wonder about that, whether it was actually a wives' tale or if it was just a way for parents to torture their children. You can't go in the water for a half hour after you eat. <laughs> well, there's a little science behind oh, it. Is there? Okay. If you eat a Thanksgiving dinner mm-hmm. and oh. then go out and try to swim, you know, the English Channel... Right. Then you're going to be losing blood to your extremities because it's all in your gut trying right. to digest, trying to digest. Turkey, Okay. Which yeah. is going to put you to sleep. Right. So then you're going to fall asleep while you're swimming. <laughs> and then, The perfect storm. That's right. That's the big sleep. The big sleep. <laughs> oh. So, yeah. So, so, you know, there's a grain of truth to that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but, right. I just couldn't think how a bag of chips would kill you. But I know. You know. It's like I had a bologna sa- a hot bologna sandwich oh. and, and hot grape cool. high C. So, yeah, right. yeah that's going to kill me. Right. Or the it's a body temperature. Me. The body doesn't even have to warm it up before it can digest it. So, yeah, that's all right. So, it was, it, was, it was one of those years where, bang, freezing weather, bang, floods in both ends of the country, and then tornadoes, tornadoes, and then heat, and then grasshoppers, and then yeah, more like heat. 2020 and 2021, right? Yeah, yeah it is. fires it's, and fires and, and I know. Well, and see, and that's that's a cycle a lot of times, and, I, and definitely in California, they'll have they'll have fires in the winter when it's dry, and then in the spring when the rains come, there's nothing to hold the soil, so they'll right. have mudslides. Mm-hmm. And then once they get enough water, they'll start having floods. Right. But part of that is that the northern part of California is not keeping its own water. Right. They collect that water and they send it down to Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. So it's not staying on the ground in the area. It's it's actually right. going into a dam and then being sent down. So <laughs> that's, that's kind of a man-made issue in northern mm-hmm. California, the fires. Definitely. And it's not the raking of the forests <laughs> it's it's the taking of the water yeah but i think too that there does need to be management in order to you know not have a bunch of dry tinder on the ground if you can avoid it because oh, yeah. that does contribute you know well, i have a friend who does landscaping out there and that's one of the things he consults on yeah because a lot of those desert plants have a lot of oil in them mm-hmm. and they will burst into flames right and it's a matter of protecting your house by not having that material close, close enough to your house that it'll catch. Right. Yep. All right. So what do we got going now? Well, I think that's about it because right. we've covered everything on the think. list. Good. So if it gets really hot this summer, mm-hmm. yes. what, what's our advice? Well, advice is to pay attention to your environment as far as if you're out in the sun, you know, for extended periods of time. Make sure that you remain hydrated, that you take breaks, that you get out of the sun, especially Mm -hmm. if you're doing physical activity or or working, you know, in the sun. And when you're out in the sun and you need to come in, Mm -hmm. don't just sit there and fret. Right. Go to your computer, turn on a podcast like Disaster Tales. There you go. And spend an hour there and see if it cools off by the time we're done. Right. Because we're full of hot air and so... We'll probably be sucking it right out of the area wherever you're listening. So <laughs> that not only that, I mean, I think working with your environment. Like I know the way that our house works is that if it's cool in the morning, usually it's cooler in the morning, and so we open the windows and let the house cool off, mm-hmm. and then shut it, um, shut the windows and close it off because we have large trees around us. So. It'll remain fairly cool in our house, right. so you kind of work with your environment. We don't have air conditioning. We do have some fans, but um, you know, just 
figure out what the best the best way to stay cool is and mm-hmm. go with it. And if you have to leave for the day and go sit at the movie theater, I know in Texas or, they have... Or go to the senior center right. or the mall or something, mm-hmm. somewhere where they have air conditioning. Right. Yeah, you got to protect Just yourself. to get out of the heat once in a while or even go for a ride in your car if you have air conditioning yeah. in your car. Five fifty-five. Yeah, there you go. Five yeah. windows, 55 miles an hour. <laughs> Yeah, uh, there was one other story. There was a woman who said that she they had been using electric fans and they just weren't working very well. So they try they thought, okay, well maybe we can cool off the house by putting water in the basement. Oh. So, there so you they, go. they put they put like four or five inches of water in the basement and it didn't she said it didn't really make any difference. Mm-hmm. Except that I would think that there might be a little mold down there right. afterwards. Right. <laughs> And that's the thing, you know, getting getting to a place where geothermal cooling, you know, some place where you're you've got like a near the water or in a you know cavern or you know different places that you, under waterfall. But also if the the evaporative cooling, depending on what area you're in, if it's not real humid, to take just take a cold cloth and put it on the back of your neck and let that you know let that evaporate onto your skin and to cool you that way. Uh, you know, those are just some little tips, you know, laying, laying down, putting a cold towel over you, mm-hmm. you know, and just letting the air blow over you. Yeah. Put the, your feet in a kiddie pool, anything. Right. I know that when I went to Hurricane Katrina, uh, it was so hot after that storm. Mm-hmm. And where we were, there was no air conditioning in the building for the first 10 days. Mm. And I had one of those little handkerchiefs that had the silica gel in it. Right. And so I'd soak it in the morning and I'd put it around my neck and it kept me from having a heat stroke right and then i would do it again at, at lunchtime and wear it for the rest of the afternoon but i know one time we were traveling to texas to visit and we had a small escort and it had no air conditioning <laughs> and it was june and so it was hot all the way across the country and my daughter was about four years old and so what i would do is i would take her dress and dip it in the cooler mm-hmm. get it nice and wet and put it on her <laughs> and with the windows open in the car and having that wind blowing on her, right. that kept her body temperature low. Right. And so that's, you know, just understanding that the key is to keep your body temperature as low as you can keep it, mm-hmm. you know, and how, whatever means you can accomplish that by a cloth on the neck or, you know, well, she's a wet always, hat or... She's always worn cool fashions. Right. She's always been very cool. <laughs> she's, this, her daughter is Stephanie... Uh, Surdy, and she's the one who wrote the music that we use for our intro. Our bumper music, yep. That's right. So, um, thanks, Stephanie, if you're listening. Yeah, thank you very much. (laughs) And now we're glad you're really cool, because you're really cool. (laughs) (laughs) So, but yeah, this has been an interesting, um, interesting study, and to... You know, I know that it gets hot, you know, there are times when you go through those heat waves, but, you know, you you have ways that you can kind of circumvent that and get a, get away from the heat for a yeah. time. And Back then they had a lot of trouble with that, though. Mm-hmm. But but these heat waves, it's not an isolated thing. These heat waves come and go. This one was extremely extended and exacerbated by the conditions of that were created by the farming community. Right. Um, but th- it wasn't all places that had farms that had the heat wave and it was, and it was for months, months. Right. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's to our advantage to kind of look out for these things, pay attention to who's doing what with the soil so right. it doesn't all disappear. Right. And try to make sure that in, that we have, that we set up places because you, in Florida, they set up cooling centers. Right. And so you, 
need to be thinking as a community how to protect people in this situation right. and create a place for people to go right. where they can cool off because they can't do it at home. And watch out for people who have health conditions and the elderly because they tend to succumb to the heat much more quickly than uh, than people who are younger and healthy. So, you know, check in on your neighbor if you have an elderly mm -hmm. neighbor or, you know, make sure they have a fan. You know, sometimes they, oh, I don't like the wind blowing on me, but they their body temperatures go up, mm -hmm. you know. So it's a good idea to keep track of people and watch out for each other. Yeah, and you know what? If you have if you have a few bucks extra and your neighbor needs air conditioning, mm -hmm. maybe you can help them pay their electric bill for a month. Right, right. You know, yeah, be a good neighbor. Yeah. So I think this has been a good discussion, and hopefully people will be able to glean some information from it that will help them in the event that they're faced with excessive heat and incidents. And mm -hmm. I think, you know, in, in urban areas, it's sometimes harder because at least out in the country, you can get out and get under a shade tree or, you know. Well, you don't see a lot of 80-year-olds dancing around in front of fire hydrants in the city either. True. True. <laughs> but occasionally you will. Every once in a while. Yep. Alrighty. Well, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. Sorry we've had such a weird, sluggish schedule. We hope to get back on schedule once I figure out where I'm going to live. That's a big part of it. Yes. <laughs> so <laughs> so once, I, once I'm settled, I'll be sure and let everybody know. Yeah. But thanks again for listening and being patient, and we appreciate you, and have a good summer. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Disaster Tales. You can find us on Podbean, Stitcher, Google Play, and iTunes. Our website is www.disastertales.com. Music by Stephanie Cerny. If you have a disaster tale to share, feel free to send it to us at kate at disastertales.com. We'd love to share your story with our listeners. Thanks again. <laughs>